0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmur's Day, December 6th, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim Hill looks back at the opening of New Fantasyland, in particular, something that flew over the Magic Kingdom that night, back in December of 2012. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that if his chestnuts are roasted on a closed fire this holiday season, He's going to lose his ever-loving mind. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: It's fine. It's fine, Len. I. By the way, those are song lyrics you really do not want to screw up because if you're with friends and family and start singing about how Jack Frost roasting on an open
0: fire and chestnuts nipping at your nose, <sighs> you get some very strange looks. I, I go with. Uh, I typically open with chipmunks roasting on an open fire, which is the same <laughs> number of syllables as chestnuts, but not there what I people know. are expecting. <laughs> Christmas,
1: Christmas, Christmas (laughs) time.
0: All right, never mind. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Bud Dixon, Matt Kuhn, and Bill Fair, and longtime subscribers, Laura Homala615, Steve Panzarella, and K.S. Cooper. Jim, these are the folks who have the unenviable task of teaching the script for Animal Kingdom's upcoming show, Finding Nemo the Big Blue and Beyond which is scheduled to debut in 2022, to Dory, the forgetful Blue Tang. And if you see these folks at a bar after work, do not walk up to behind them and say, line, unless you really want to see a bunch of theater people cry. True story. <laughs> did, you, did you ever
1: hear the story about how Ellen DeGeneres actually got the role of Dory? No. no. Andrew Stanton was watching a piece of stand-up that Ellen did, and inside of one 30-second bit from her stand up act, she changed the subject five times. And, <laughs> and, and Stan was like, That's her. That's how <laughs> Dory needs to sound. Get her the effect of she has trouble holding just one thought in her
0: head. So, <laughs> when d works for you. Yeah. Fantastic. There, there we go. So, all right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry free travel experience every time, book online at Storybook Destinations. Com. All right, Jim, a quick reminder. You and I are doing our first ever Disney Dish cruise in 2022, which we're calling the Disney Dish on the Disney Wish. So the mm-hmm. dates are September 23rd to the 26th. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday out of Port Canaveral. Three nights. It's as affordable as possible. Jim, the big news this week, we sold out out of our initial group of cabins, but we were okay. able to get a few more. So if you, uh, you guys are interested in doing this, check it out at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. My my sales pitch to you is this. Look, we, we're all going to be exhausted by next September. You're going to be just as exhausted next September as me. And you know what will make that better? Me buying you drinks on a cruise ship while Jim tells stories. Can I get a drink too? <laughs> you can have a drink too, Jim. Yes, you can. Oh, oh good. All right. Storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish, folks. All right, Jim, some, uh, some news this week. Uh, Walt Disney World Park reservations are now available again for Christmas week. I think this is additional capacity being released. What do you think? Got to be, got to be. Because remember, how far back were
1: they initially shut down?
0: I think July was when I first looked and saw that there was uh, limited Mm -hmm. or no availability some days.
1: Okay.
0: If we're unwrapping the onion here, that's got to be good news
1: because they they wouldn't do that if they didn't have the staff to do this properly, which means, okay, they're getting more folks signing up in the Orlando area or thereabouts. So all good news.
0: Good, good, good. All right, Jim, Another other news, and we didn't talk about this last week when it came out, but have you seen the defunct land fast pass video, Jim? It's on YouTube. All, it's uh, a- yes, one hour and 42 minutes of it, Yeah, which I enjoyed greatly.
1: I learned a lot. I did walk away somewhat depressed because it does sort of really pop the top on what's going on. On at Disney parks right now, and
0: not a particularly pleasant view, but very photo Really, really enjoyed it. All right, for our listeners, it's a it's a YouTube channel called Defunct Land, D E F U N C T L A N D, and the video is called Disney's Fast Pass: A Complicated History. And to say that it's a complicated history uh, is mm-hmm. an understatement. So, as Jim mentioned, this is an hour and forty three minute video. The thing mm-hmm. that I love about it is not only does it explain the math behind queuing and mm-hmm. uh, what, fa- what problem FastPass was supposed to solve. But in the second half of this, uh, Kevin Perger, who's the, uh, the guy behind Defunctland, actually hired a computer programmer to write a theme park simulation that showed how crowds reacted and how standby wait times changed from having no FastPass to the original classic FastPass to FastPass Plus. And not only that, but he also talked to Bruce Laval, the guy that invented FastPass. He did, he did. And that's a great get. Yeah,
1: and let's not blow the surprise on the, the, the second half or so. <laughs> yeah we're,
0: we're not gonna do it. so uh, so Kevin creates a, um, a simulated theme park using data from touringplans.com I helped with this a little mm. bit but uh, goes through and shows how uh, how different wait times change with different fastpass games. It's a fantastic video. I know uh, not many people are looking for uh, movie length videos on youtube but it is it is one of the best things that i've seen in a long time it came out i think less than two weeks ago it's already got 2.3 million views fantastic mm-hmm. video if you're interested in how uh theme parks work i agree i agree actually I have a couple of uh openings and reopenings that have been announced mm-hmm. uh artist point over at wilderness lodge will reopen this month as well as boat rights over at Port Orleans riverside so that's two more dining locations we'll take it now artist point
1: did character dining for a while. This yeah. is strictly just as as dining dining. Right? I don't think characters are coming
0: back initially, right?
1: Okay. And boat rides. That's um, Port Orleans Riverside. Uh, right. Yeah. Riverside. Right. Okay. Well,
0: it's good though, because you know when the resort opened, it needed a uh, it, it lacked, uh, the the dining option, so it needs that. That 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 makes sense. I don't know. Absolutely. Just I love that we've got these signs that it's 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 coming back. So yeah, it's good. Um, other news uh, over at Walt Disney Imagineering, the changes continue to come. Jim, Wynn know that uh, Imagineering is moving to Lake Nona, Florida uh, in 2022. Uh, as part of that, I think we've had some announcements about changing roles this week. Bob Weiss, who is currently leading or half leading Walt Disney Imagineering, is moving now to the global ambassador role. And Barbara Booza, who now leads uh, Walt Disney Imagineering, is uh, taking over the half that she didn't have. So what do we know? What do we know of Barbara? Barbara has only come
1: through the door at Disney relatively recently and 20 some odd years at Gensler, yep. one of the highest grossing architecture firms in the US. So yep. building a brand new facility for Imagineering at Lake Nona makes sense Which someone with Barbara's resume would ride her at that moment. I'm a little troubled that Bob Weiss's now going into the global ambassador position, which is kind of how Imagineering stepped away from Marty Scalar being in charge. A lot of the really good stuff that Disney has done over the past 25 years or so, whether it's Disney MGM Studio or you know, the redo of DCA turning it into a really for-real park that could stand tall next to Disneyland, mm-hmm. let alone things like Galaxy's Edge and, again, Avengers Campus. This is on Bob's watch, and he can walk out of the company with his head held high. I'm just kind of concerned. that I always like it when there's an actual creative in charge, and no disrespect to, to Ms. Boza, but we need somebody to ride her on the Lake Nona project, but it's just like... Weren't we talking on the the last show about the amount of spending that Disney has planned its its theme parks right now is the lowest level since
0: 2013? Yeah, it's uh it's near a global low, if not a uh, recent low, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's be honest. We do have some amazing things coming over the hill. We have the Tron light cycle. We have Cosmic Rewind. If we're looking at... Disneyland, we've got the redo of Mickey's Toontown and Runaway Railway coming there, but I think you and I both were kind of concerned coming out of the latest destination D23 that was held at Walt Disney World with the surprising lack of announcements about what's coming in
0: 24, 25, 26. Right. So, so I wonder if I wonder if this move hasn't been in the works for a while and that's part of the reason why we haven't heard more things about new rides that they want to get somebody in charge who can put their own mark on things
1: well Iger is officially out the door in january this is bob chapek putting his vision of where disney goes next in place so it's you know obviously putting barbara in charge of wdi and transitioning bob weiss to global ambassador which is a great way to go out of the company yeah, but again, the downside is it means Bob Weiss is going out of the company.
0: That's true. And You'll wonder how much uh, how much influence he has as the ambassador. My guess is not much. the uh, okay. The thing that's more interesting to me is bringing in somebody completely from the outside and in a relatively mm-hmm. short amount of time, putting them in charge of Imagineering. That to me is Chapek saying we need a completely different thought leadership at the company. If it was if you if Bob Chapek wanted more of the same, he would have gone with someone internal. He mm-hmm. didn't. Uh, so I think this is a uh, this is a signal that things should not be the way that they've been that's a very good way to frame what's going on here I mean and her, and her resume looks good I mean I mean 20 years at Gensler that's that's impressive
1: she's got the job experience and it's the thing Imagineering does build things around
0: the globe true. so you know
1: this this is the sort of person you want with that sort of experience
0: but I'm also encouraged by the fact that she comes from an architecture role because we know that the last big architecture patron of any influence within the Walt Disney <laughs> Company was uh, the criminally underrated Michael Eisner. And By the way, Jim, I, I've decided that my penance for criticizing mm-hmm. Michael Eisner back in the day is to now mm-hmm. refer to him always as criminally underrated.
1: Well, okay. Yeah. Right.
0: To, That's my thing, to,
1: to, at, at least for the next couple of weeks. But remember, when you those two phrases, underrated,
0: don't hit Criminal. <laughs> yeah, you got to do both yeah. words, exactly. Okay, <laughs> yeah. there we go. All right, so yeah, so I'm excited to see what, to, what happens here. It'll be... Uh, mm-hmm. um, I think the next batch of projects that are announced might be something that Barbara has uh, is backing. So that'll be uh, mm-hmm. that'll be good to see. And you also mentioned that Susan Arnold is replacing Bob Iger as chairman of the Walt Disney Company. What's the what's the background behind that? Susan's actually been on Disney's board for 14 years at this point. And she's
1: actually been the independent lead director since 2018. She's been an operating executive with the Carlyle Company until earlier this year. And previously, she'd been the president of the global business units at Procter & Gamble Hmm. from uh, 2007 to 2009. And she's also been a member of the board at McDonald's from 2008 to 2016. So she's been in the building. This whole time. She was there for the early part of the Iger years and watched Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm come through the doors, likewise the Fox acquisition. So she's very familiar with what the Disney company has grown into just over the past decade. Right. Under Iger, we had a chairman and CEO. And what's interesting about this is we now have Bob JPEC as CEO. We now have Susan Arnold as chairman. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a reflection of the fact that the thinking of the board is Disney has gotten so big at this point. It's not a one person job anymore. No. And it's an all hands on deck situation. So we probably won't see a lot of what Mr. Chapek and, and Ms. Arnold have planned for Disney till February March of next year? Why not until February or March? Bob Iger is is in the middle of the world's longest victory lap. <laughs> okay, and until he officially, you know, I'm slow walking out the gate here, exactly. you know, in Burbank, and until such time. In fact, just this week between the, the Bob Weiss transitioning to his new role and, you know, the announcement of Susan, that we got these two announcements in, in just a few days' time. One would hope we'll hear more, but realistically headed into the holiday season, coupled with the fact that, again, Mr. Chapek wants Mr. Iger to have his moment in the spotlight, even though it's been going on since March of 2020.
0: It's a glorious three-hour finale.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go. It's like, here's your hat. What's your hurry? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Come on, Bob. Move it along. Okay.
0: All right, Jim, let's move on to some listener questions. Here's the first one from Adam. And uh, let me give you some background here. So Adam wrote in about an issue he had at Beach Club Villas back in October, along with the survey Disney sent him about his stay, which let me just uh, do a little spoiler alert here. Survey was not good. Hmm. Adam contacted Disney directly with the issue, and I asked him to let us know if he heard back from them. And so here's Adam's update. I finally got my response from Disney after seven weeks. Most of the message is company speak, but the good part is below and that is that they've uh, given him two nights in a one-bedroom villa at Beach Club Villas as compensation. And Adam goes on to say, I can't imagine how many make goods they're spending money on right now by not being able to do things right the first time. What does a one-bedroom cash price cost anyway? $600 to $800 a night? Oh, Adam, <laughs> $600 to $800. Adam, 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 don't ever lose that childlike innocence. That's all I'm going to say. All right, so I did some uh, did some research here. A one-bedroom villa at Beach Club Villas it can cost up to one thousand two hundred and sixty-eight dollars per night this year. So Whoa. the I know so the make good is probably somewhere in the fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar range for Adam Jim. I got to ask, you think it's good business policy to be giving out fifteen hundred to two grand for every complaint? What's the calculus that's Ooh. going on behind the scenes here for things like this? What's
1: fascinating about when you're dealing with somebody who's a DVC member and complains that, you know, it's one thing when it's an, an, an annual pass holder who, right. yes, you've spent money, but the way Disney treats annual pass holders look, you have a, a – and artificial sense of entitlement. I know you about the pass. I know you feel like you should be able to get into the park at any time. That's not how this works. Whereas a DVC member has a real sense of entitlement because they bought in. Right. And of all the people of, of our customer base, we have to make the DVC members happy. So uh-huh. it's like, okay, we got to do right by this guy. We got to, if we have to eat $2,000, we have to eat $2,000 because we don't want someone like Adam out there going, I am not happy with DVC and advising friends and family not to
0: invest in this. The thing that surprises me is that they gave him a stay at a DVC resort instead of a standard room. And the reason why I'm surprised is that Mm -hmm. those rooms are typically occupied north of 95% of the time. Right, mm-hmm. and from what I understand, there are no restrictions on when Adam can use this. These uh, these two nights, so he wow. could technically go, you know, spring break next year. Mm-hmm. And to your point, yeah, Disney would be out more than two thousand dollars on a cash basis per night. Uh, sorry, two thousand dollars total. But that mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money to give up, and it's and it's basically guaranteed money, right? Because again, Disney knows there's like a ninety-seven percent chance that someone would book that room. That's amazing to me.
1: No, 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 I agree. We I should agree, all get Adam to write our complaints. But the notion that Disney is willing to put that much out there to engender goodwill. Oh, yeah. Kind of an interesting moment in the company history. So, That's
0: amazing. Mm-hmm. Right, good job, Adam, on, uh, on, on writing that uh, complaint. All right. Here's a note from Michael who says, my mom, my daughter, and I were listening to a recent episode of The Disney Dish on our way down to Disneyland when you mentioned how at the Magic Kingdom, they were using a human shield to usher people out of the park at closing time, right? So this was my uh, me talking about our, uh, our experience during one of the Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. That night was a Christmas party at Disneyland. We didn't get tickets for it, but splurged for the park hopper and attempted to get on Big Thunder Mountain with 17 minutes left before park closing. But the ride was suddenly temporarily closed. So we went over to Indiana Jones and that was also suddenly temporarily closed even though the app said it was open this surely felt like a tactic to get us out of the park it turns out the pirates let us on with four minutes to spare what's up with that coincidence or is disneyland pushing us out early Um, michael you know i'm of the feeling that there are no coincidences in theme parks
1: no no there are not it's one of those things where it's like you have to for a moment put on your cast member's hat and realize okay this is that awkward moment where you're we transitioning you know again we've sold the park twice in one day right and it's like we we do have to clear these folks out so we can bring the other set in and so it's just whatever trick allows you to do that that much quickly it's like oh red has a head cold you you can't get on you know pirates of the caribbean right now or we have to refuel the train come back tomorrow you know whatever speeds that along. The problem is if if everybody's doing the same trick to the yeah. effect of we're temporarily closed, uh, it's not a trick anymore. Yeah, you know? no. <laughs> I
0: don't know. 17 minutes, though, I, I, I get Michael's point, right? You paid full price to be in the park. The park hours uh-huh. are, you know, whatever, 8 to 9 or whatever they're supposed to be, not 8 to 8.45, right? <laughs> uh, and we all know that if you can get in line for the park closes, you're entitled to ride. Absolutely. I don't know, man. That seems like a little heavy handed to me. I think, I think Michael's got a point here. I know,
1: but this isn't necessarily a cast member making this call. Oh no, it's management.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. we got to clear out the park to your point. Yeah. It's not an individual cast member doing it. All right. Here's a note from Jeremy who says, after parking just about as far away as you can at Animal Kingdom yesterday, I got to bring up why in the nine realms haven't we seen the trams return? My cynicism wants to say it's so they can drive people towards paying for preferred parking. But at this point, everything else is running and the trams are parked. Just so weird. Have you guys heard anything? And uh, so two things on this. One, um, uh, Jim, I don't know if you saw it, but today Disneyland announced some job openings, one of which appears to be for a uh, tram position. Have you seen this? Uh, if it broke today, I did not catch it, but that that's good news. It was our friend, Eric, who listens to the uh, show, who sent in a uh, job about, uh, truck driver full-time over at, uh, and part-time over at Disneyland. So I'm guessing that's what that is. Thank you for sending that in, Eric. Okay. The other thing I, I think, uh, is that Jeremy's onto something here. And the reason why I say that normally I would say that the tram issue is entirely about staffing, but my mom went to the parks a couple weekends ago. And with her knee replacement, she opted to pay for preferred parking because there were no trams. So maybe Jeremy's onto something here. Could be both. Could be both things,
1: right? During our Disney dish live thing mm-hmm. last month, uh, Nancy was still recovering from her back surgery, which I mentioned after paying for parking. And, and so uh, again, Jeremy, if you, if your mom, again, with her knee replacement, uh, make sure that she mentions that she's recently had surgery when she's dealing with the cast members who work at the entry point to the parking at the theme parks. Because they will make arrangements to, I, I think it's called medical drop off. Oh, really? They'll uh, let they'll, you in the medical parking. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good to know. Especially these days where you're walking in from the very back of the parking lot. That can be a misery, especially to, to somebody who's, who's just had a medical procedure. So don't be afraid to, to say that with those folks. And they immediately absolutely
0: go to medical drop-off. Go talk to the cast member there. All right. One last note from Nate. Mm-hmm. He says, I have an idea for a terrible Broadway show, Disney Dish the Musical. The opening song is called Let's Bring in the Man. There'll be a slow tune called You're Not Wrong. And the big number is, of course, That's It Exactly. I feel like if we could get enough people behind this, we could shove it over the cliff of success, which I am going to say that phrase from now on. <laughs> in, in there league. we go. But,
1: but, but Jim, sadly, the man who could have brought this to the stage, who could it brought it to the level of our so We just lost him last week. Stephen on time. One of my favorites. Have you ever ever seen his show
0: Assassins? No, I've I've heard it's one of his uh, classics, though.
1: What was beautiful about Sondheim is he could do these wonderful, upbeat... Songs about really sinister things, like the lovely song that, that Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd sing at the end of the first act, or shepherd pie peppered with actual shepherds. Shepherd. <laughs> uh, <again.
0: laughs> uh, the, the New York Times actually put that line in the open, which which I thought was great.
1: Yeah, I mean, but but again, Assassins has this this great, you know, everybody's got the right to some sunshine, but it's again, it's right. John Wilkes Booth and it's Lee Harvey Oswald and they're on singing.
0: Well, that's what I think. I think we could do you know it's like when when i read this from nate i'm like okay what would that's it exactly sound like and i i think i see it as a broadway sort of like call and response number where it's like charging you more giving you less that's it exactly bob chipmick would tell your mother down the river that's it exactly (laughs) (laughs) we can write this. Like, I think this is the thing we can okay. do. Okay. All right. I, I'll call my agent. Oh god. Like I spent like 15 minutes thinking like what would the lyrics for that's it exactly be? Uh, oh, it'd be beautiful. Anyway, all right. We're going to take but, a quick commercial break, folks. When we come back, Jim sets the Wayback Machine for 2012 as we revisit the opening of New Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. All right, Jim, who can remember the the long-ago days of 2012? I remember them vaguely. Um, when New Fantasyland opened, it partially opened, right? Because didn't um, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train come, come out later? Yeah, we didn't get Seven Dwarfs Mine Train until, I
1: want to say, May of 2014. So, yeah, phase one of the biggest expansion uh, of the Magic Kingdom up until that time. Phase One opened December 5th, 2012. And, and in fact, we had Jennifer Goodwin, who was playing Snow White uh, at that time on ABC's Once Upon a Time. Obviously, we Disney fans would come to know her better as the voice of Judy Hopps a, a few years later, but... A long-time Disney fan. I, I got to talk to her at one point, and she was talking about how thrilled she was to be there for the ceremony in front of Cinderella Castle with all of Disney princesses. And it's like, I'm here. I'm here with my people. So phase one, we got some pretty incredible stuff. We got the Be Our Guest restaurant with its three different dining rooms, West Wing with the Enchanted Rose and the Changing Portrait and the, the Grand Ballroom with that huge bank of windows with the snowstorm going on. Likewise, we got our Under the Sea Journey of the Little Mermaid ride, which had opened at DCA 18 months earlier. Then we got our Storybook Circus Area, which finally solved the Dumbo capacity problem with its double Dumbo. Then we got Enchanted Tales with Belle, which took the typical meet and greet that's done at Disney park and brings it to a whole new level as a Disney princess actually invites guests to come join her with a reenactment of the story
0: from Beauty and the Beast. I think that was, I think my favorite, I mean, Be, uh, be Our Guest was great um, mm-hmm. as a restaurant when it first opened, but I think Enchanted Tales with Belle was the, the big surprise thing for me, and especially how well that was mm-hmm. done, not your standard meet and greet.
1: When do you think this is coming back? I mean, realistically, oh, we haven't talked about the news of the past week with what well, with Omicron. In fact, wasn't it just yesterday that discovered that it is in fact stateside? The first case was in California. Yeah, we figured.
0: I mean, we all we, we all oh, knew yeah. it would be. The um, you know, I think we will see that type of show come back once we get a large percentage of kids uh, mm-hmm. vaccinated. I don't think that's going to be for another year. So, mm, I'd be surprised. But I mean, it's fantastic done. The thing that I love about it, the two things. One, when you're in Maurice's workshop and Mm -hmm. the magic mirror expands, I had to go through that attraction a couple of times to figure out how it was done. And it's really done well. The second thing I like is that just from an operations perspective, how they Mm -hmm. stage you from room to room to room before you get to the the main room and and, and do the actual you know enchanted tales with, with Belle thing. It's a really clever piece of staging and pipelining guests that doesn't make it feel like you're standing in line. I think they did that really, really well. Remember the original take on New Fantasyland was not just one
1: enhanced meet and greet. We're supposed to get three. And we're supposed to Many, get yeah. go yeah you know, go to the woodcutter's cottage and hang out with Briar Rose and the the her Three fairy godmothers likewise go to the Chateau Tremaine, uh, you know, on the night that Cinderella is going to go to the ball. I'd love to see the blueprints. I'd love to see the what they were planning to do there, because each of those was going to do the very thing you were talking about, you right? Know, transition people through holding areas that didn't seem like holding areas. But.
0: I, re- I remember when the original plans came out for version one of New Fantasyland, and you and I looked mm-hmm. at that, and I, I think I went on a rant that said, could mm-hmm. they please stop building things? just for eight-year-old girls. Because that was my original take on the first mm-hmm. version of New Fantasyland. It was uh it was not family friendly. It was very targeted to princesses.
1: Oh, oh much so. And and but remember, even though those two things fell off the table, the the woodcutter's cottage experience, likewise the Chateau Tremaine, we still got Princess Fairy Tale Hall, oh, which right. to its credit, uh, when that opened in September of 2013, it became this Multi-use space in that you would see a selection of Disney princes rotate through the day. Right. I think it, when we were recording our first set of walkthroughs of the park, you you actually walked me over to Princess Fairy Tale Hall, where we were going to try to meet up with a a Rapunzel. That was a a, a friend of the show. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But it was this bruiser of a bouncer. (laughs) You know, they figured, no, you know, you can't get in. Do you have a fast pass? No, you do not. Move along, boys. Move along. Yeah. So uh, Fairytale Hall opened September 2013. Eight months later, we get our Seven Dwarfs Mine Train opening in May of 2014. Over four years of hard work to get to that point. In fact, uh, phase one came April of 2010. That's when they shut down Pooh's uh, Playful Spot. And then the next month... They bring in that giant construction crane and move that 120 ton fake tree
0: across the street. Whose playful spot was a small playground area directly across from? Mm-hmm where Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is. And it's on the land that was once 20,000 leagues, right? There we go.
1: There we go. And that, uh, you know, then became the crucial piece of real estate that the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train got put on, which, Mm. uh, again, that swaying family coaster. Whereas Barnstormer is a thrilling junior roller coaster ride. And if we go over to the studios, Slinky Dog Dash is a family-friendly coaster. Oh, yeah. I'm fascinated that... Swaying Family Coaster versus Family Friendly Coaster and Family Friendly Coaster versus Thrilling Junior Coaster. If you could pre- briefly put on your your unofficial guide hat here, yes. how do you approach that when you're putting together the guide? Is it based on strictly
0: the height of who can get on these things? I mean, how do you address that? We do the, the same thing. So we think that um, Barnstormer is you know your kid's first roller coaster. If they can handle that, and they can handle it well, then it Mm -hmm. would be time to try. And we think Seven Doors of Mine Train is actually the second coaster people people should try in the park. Yeah, so in this respect, I like the way that Disney's described these because I think I'm I'm generally aligned with that. But using the word junior roller coaster as opposed to family-friendly means that Barnstormer uh, is targeted towards smaller children. And Jim, if you've ever tried to sit in the (laughs) Barnstormer seats, right? I I mean, I think the thing to do there is you have to buy – the popcorn out in mm-hmm. front of storybook circus before mm-hmm. you go on the barnstormer. But instead of eating the popcorn, you just take the stuff at the top that is drenched in <laughs> butter and you rub it on your hips because it helps you get in the seat. Like if you ever, you know, the sound that, that styrofoam makes when it's, when it's rubbed together, that's the sound of my butt. When it goes <sighs> into the barnstormer seats, it's like, okay, man, let's, you know, let's go, let's move this thing. And when it comes out, <sighs> it makes like a vacuum popping sound.
1: Okay. Yeah. For some odd reason this makes me think of oh, Matterhorn bobsleds in California and, and seriously if if somebody needs me to reveal where the missile bases are threaten me with oh, you we know, will make you get on the Matterhorn.
0: Honestly, the roughest ride the Matterhorn. you're you're not you're not wrong. The the Matterhorn is, I get off that I'm like, "Well, you know, if I can walk, I don't need to visit a chiropractor cuz I'm fine." <laughs> Yes,
1: yes, yes. I just, you know, but it's beloved. I mean, yet again, you you look at the line and, you know, oh, I, oh, yeah. I got to go visit the Yeti. So
0: it's like, eesh. All right. So anyway, that's, I mean, so if we're talking about, you know, like thrill rides, the progression, uh-huh. I would say it's Barnstormer, Seven Dwarves, and then probably Big Thunder or Splash Mountain. And I would save Space Mountain for last because it's in the dark. Okay. Well, speaking of thrills, if
1: if we're being completely honest here, going back to the the morning of December 6th, when guests are finally getting into the Magic Kingdom to experience phase one of that that theme park's new Fantasyland, among the people who'd been to the opening party the previous evening, there was one question. Did you see it? As Uh in, Uh, the fire-breathing dragon that flew over New Fantasyland. This is the uh, this is the hat box ghost of uh, of Walt Disney World, isn't it? it and I got to tell you, Len, I was there at the party. This was back when I worked for the Huffington Post, and Disney invited me. Everything now that I work with you, they invite me to. What? <laughs> Not a coincidence. But I'm okay with it. It's like, hey, cool. I I get to see at home, but no, I did not get to see the the dragon in person. I, I I was indisposed at the moment, dealing with food poisoning. I got a bad orange. You know a that that's uh, a bad orange. I, I you know to this day, Nancy actually bought a, a squishy toy orange that she occasionally threatens me with, and I like, <laughs> I automatically recoil. But in the weeks leading up to this press event for the opening. Phase 1 of New Fantasyland, I had been aware that a mysterious something had been seen over the skies of the Magic Kingdom. In fact, a lot of us had been, thanks to the Disney Dragons Tumblr.com page, which, by the way, Len, is still Active, but it starts off on november 14th 2012 with this entry something strange has been going on recently at the magic kingdom more specifically in the section they're referring to as new Fantasyland, and it's not just my imagination there are stories going around strange sightings weird noises and flames hi i'm gary i started this blog to chronicle Everything I love about dragons and share what I find out about the mysterious happenings at New Fantasyland. So thanks for following, and I'm hoping that together we can figure this out. And the Gary who put together this Tumblr entry, who launched this blog is Gary Buchanan, who at the time, nine years ago, Gary, uh, Mr. Buchanan, was social media managing editor for the Disney Parks, and uh, according to his LinkedIn bio, that meant he wrote her on special publicity events for the resort, which this dragon campaign most definitely was. Yes, But go to disneydragons.tumblr.com. Here you'll find a series of grainy videos where people in and around Orlando seem to be seeing something fly through the night sky, Likewise, there's a series of photographs that you, – Len, you would particularly love these. These are just supposedly staged in 1971, just prior to the opening of the Magic Kingdom. They show a survey team in the forest directly behind that theme park that has somehow stumbled onto this enormous nest. And there in the nest is this huge cracked open egg, which exists as something crazy. of sight just hatched out. There's also a series of photographs inside the park that show this giant, like, dragon footprint of you know, some sort of creature walking up Main Street, going up the curve stairway to Central Castle, and eventually walking by the Seven Dwarfs Mine Strain construction fence. But there are almost daily entries in this Tumblr page, and all of them lead up to the opening night of phase one of the new fantasy land where it it literally shows Gary pointing to the sky and above him is a dragon flying through the air, breathing fire.
0: I saw it. The, The photos are great, aren't they?
1: they were amazing but the thinking at the time especially when the fan community was like look Disney has put so much time and effort into promoting this dragon that flies over the Magic Kingdom thing so surely this spectacular new effect is about to become a new featured attraction at that theme park you know something along the lines of Tinkerbell you know how her appearance sliding on that wire from the highest tower at Cinderella Castle to the rooftop of Tomorrowland Terrace became a high point of the Magic Kingdom 's Fantasy Sky fireworks likewise all yep. All of the iterations of, you know, that theme park's fireworks display, right up to Enchantment. But Len, that didn't happen. Nope. After flying over the Magic Kingdom for the opening night of Phase 1 of the new Fantasy Atlanta Project, the dragon disappeared from sight for nearly nine years, only to reemerge April of this year in the background of a video that WDI shared with TechCrunch. This is when uh, WDI was showing up Project Kiwi, which is that pint-sized robotic baby Groot that is reportedly being readied for the parks. Yep. Anyway, if you want to check this out, folks, this video got posted uh, April 23rd of this year. It was part of an article written by Matthew Pazzarino. It's a minute and 15-minute long video. If you stop 27 seconds in, you can see the dragon that flew over Fantasyland. It's no longer operational. It's literally a piece of art that dangles from the ceiling now, at WDI, a reminder of what might have been. And what do I mean by what might have been, Len? Mm. Remember how when Disney's Animal Kingdom was first announced back in June of 1995, this 500-acre theme park we're supposed to have three separate areas that celebrate distinctly different animals. The real, the mythical, and the extinct. Um, well, obviously we got two of those areas. Africa and Asia contain the real animals, whereas Dinoland USA pays, ex- uh, pays tribute to the extinct ones, where Beastly Kingdom, which was supposed to showcase mythical creatures, uh, that got pushed back to phase two of the project. and But then... When Disney's Animal Kingdom construction costs rose from $600 million to $800 million. never mind the fact that when Disney World's fourth gate opened, Animal Kingdom then cannibalized attendance levels at Epcot and MGM. Uh, the company rethought its, its plans for that sure-to-be-expensive-to-build new land that was supposed to be added to that theme park. Beastly Kingdom had always been a key component of Joe Rody's original vision for Animal Kingdom. Uh, largely because, we'll think about it. Even today, when Africa and Asia, they effectively close at dusk because, you know, the animals go back to their barns. Uh, that's what they've been taught. In fact, I always feel bad for the Make-A-Wish kids Right. because they will sometimes give them the last safari of the day so they can linger and loiter in areas. And it just seems cruel that, you know, all these kids see are a lot of animal butts, you know, because... <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, time to go back to the bar. I mean, they're like postal workers, right? Yep, eh, five, five o'clock, o'clock, gotta go, you know. And uh, you know, just uh, the, the number of times I've taken that tour, and you can you know literally see the animals sort of hanging by the gate, waiting for it to open so I can go back and get my, my nighttime snack. <laughs> you guys have been great. I'm exhausted. Good night,
0: <laughs> good night,
1: yeah. But the idea was that people would transition out of African Asia at dusk, and they would then go into Dinoland USA and Beastly Kingdom and spend the evening, experience the, the ride shows and attractions in that side of the park. And the problem was that they've struggled to keep people inside of that theme park as the sun goes down. You know, how many different iterations of entertainment programs or, or that sort of thing. The normal thing that Disney does, the the nighttime
0: fireworks display, it,
1: it, that's just off the table with Animal yeah. Kingdom because and, the booms. And we,
0: and, you know. Yeah, we, we talked last week about how difficult it was to bring a parade into the Animal Kingdom so they can't oh, do a nighttime f- parade either. No, that's it exactly. On the other hand, a nightly flyover of a flock of
1: dragons with guests standing inside of Dinoland USA and Beastly Kingdom would result in an entertainment offering that was decidedly different than what was being offered to the Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, and Disney's Hollywood Studios. And as the story goes, a prototype of a flying, fire-breathing dragon was built as a proof of concept. Really? Yep. And what's interesting is that the company had previous experience with using ultralights in their theme park shows. I mean, do you remember Surprise in the Skies, the, the thing that was done over Epcot for oh, yeah. during the tw- 20th anniversary? Yeah. It, I mean, it featured Mickey, Minnie, Donald Goofy uh, in ultralights. They, they took off from an airstrip that was actually... Uh, next to Caribbean Beach Resort. In fact, it was always fascinating if you sit over there at takeoff to watch them, you know, you, you, you'd be, then you be the one standing there and suddenly these characters are flying by and they're waving to you because, hey, you're the only person who noticed we took off from here. <laughs> uh, but, but they'd fly around World Showcase Lagoon and then they'd go back and land. Basically, it was the same technology, only the difference was the dragon puppet would hang directly below the ultralight. And oh, the- is that how it worked? There you go. And the pilot oh. above is controlling the flapping of the wings and the
0: fire effect. <laughs> you, you have to fly this ultralight, which, by the way, if it crashes, it'll kill you. And while you're doing that, could you flap these wings and maybe shoot some fire at the front? See, they, 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 the way I describe it, they, it doesn't they, sound as appealing, right? Well, no, no. It,
1: it, it actually, Len, you could get a position at Disney Legal because they were not <laughs> fond of this idea. I mean. You don't, you don't say, Jim. You, you don't know. say. You know, because think about it. In order to hide the, the pilots and the ultra lights, this Flight of dragon show could only happen at night. Oh, even better if in the dark, yeah. Okay, so making land taking and land off a little chancy, and then there was a fact in order for guests to see this flock of dragons as a flew of an animal kingdom, they had to be illuminated from below with follow spots. So now you're temporarily blinding your pilots in a park that just so happens to have a 145-foot-tall tree in its center. So oh, look, Len, it's it's all fun when Baloo crash landed, lands in the stands at, at Disney Kite yeah. Tales. <laughs> we, we all enjoy Kite Tales, however. <laughs> okay, okay, but at the end of the head, an ultralight flying into the tree of life, Disney Legal's attitude wasn't no, it was oh, hell no. <laughs> so anyway, this project dies with Beastly Kingdom Quiet Cancellation in 1999, Dragonflyer prototype gets pulled out of mothballs almost 10 years later for its one-time only appearance over the opening night party of phase one of the new Fantasyland opening in December 2012. We saw something similar done with the grand opening two years ago this month uh, at Walt Disney World of of the uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the studios. You know, we saw those X-Wings, which were actually drones fly over black spire outpost which makes me think about you know remember when we saw that patent for the drones uh with the puppets dangling below them and how that was you know everybody was talking about well that's the show for the 50th anniversary that they're gonna epcot's gonna do over world showcase lagoon in fact didn't you uncover blueprints that showed they were going to
0: use the roof of Odyssey to stage the drones on? It would them. be the the way that they came in. It would be part of the flight path so they wouldn't have to go over a, a guest walkway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Five years ago we had Starbright Holiday Show uh which was presented twice nightly over Lake Buena Vista at Disney Springs. Uh, they had an 8 p.m. show and a 9.30 show. That was supposedly again the proof of concept of, you know, that Disney could do, uh, you know, nighttime entertainment with drones and that ran from November of 2016, ended January 8th of 2017. And that was a great show. But one, one and done, Len. So you got to ask,
0: what's the deal with Disney Legal and drones? Because I, I think it's the fact that the drones fail often enough that they would present a hazard if they came down in an uncontrolled way.
1: Mm-hmm. But think about it, you've got parks like Dollywood that are doing these shows now. And it's just like why is it that smaller parks, which would seem to have so much more to lose, have leaned, you know, this heavily into this technology where Disney supposedly the biggest and the best is like, eh no. No, no, we're not flying a dragon over and no, we're not going to have drones fly around World Coast Lagoon.
0: I think it's just, it's risk aversion and it's, you know, anytime anything um, unusual happens in a Disney park, it's given way more attention than if it was happening at a regional theme park. And I think that's, that's exactly what it is. uh, Okay. Now, did you, were you at the Galaxy's Edge opening to see the X-Wings? No, I was not. Again, I was
1: working with you. <laughs> you know, it's like my Amazing. invitation got lost in the mail when it fell
0: into the shredder. I mean, uh, I think we've talked about me being smuggled in in a garbage can to see the uh, That's opening right. of –
1: That's right. Yes. I, I managed
0: to see both of these things. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> and I remember the uh, – I mean, the dragon was was more impressive to me just because mm-hmm. it was less expected. But it was a it was a good effect and it was bigger than you would think. I mean go back Oh no to, no no. What was the uh, what was the Tumblr Uh disneydragons.tumblr.com.
1: But likewise if you go f- seek out that Techno Crunch video again, you can see the full-sized dragon hanging from the ceiling. In fact, what's so funny is if you look closely at it, you can actually see the wheels from the landing gear, you know, that are built into the dragon. So It always kind of kills me when you hear these stories about the, this is something we really, really wanted to do, whether it was, you know, for example, when Tony Baxter brought the, the group of people into Disneyland at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they had hot-glued a remote-control helicopter to the back of an Alice in Wonderland figure that they had filled with tw- twinkle lights. And they then flew that around Sleeping Beauty Castle, and everyone agreed, that is the most amazing Tinkerbell I've ever seen in my life. And Disney Legal was, again, oh, hell no. No, no, we are not you know going to have a family of five maimed when <laughs> Tinkerbell comes in hot. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to do, and in fact, one time on the set of a movie, it's quite another thing to have to do it 365
0: days a year. Exactly. Yeah, year after year, time after time. Yeah, it's completely different. And I think that's what the legal's uh, thing is. If you if you extrapolate out the chances of a drone failing and falling, it it, it becomes almost a certainty over a given period of time. Yeah, just I, I don't know. I, I, I know. I'd be willing, I know, to- but 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 would you be willing to if you were in the audience, right? Would you mm-hmm. be willing to risk a small chance of a drone falling on you for the chance to see? The Alice in Wonderland version of Apocalypse Now. I mean, yes, <laughs> sign me up right now.
1: <laughs> but at the same time, you know, coming to to the theme park wearing my lucky helmet and bringing a really <laughs>
0: what exactly? what it, bring a, these, a really
1: tall friend with it, me who can you know I can duck behind. You know, it's a crucial moment. The
0: merch opportunities here. There you the go. Helmets. There I, you go. I think we should revisit this, Jim. I think we should.
1: <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> but, but but anyway, that, that's the, <laughs> the tale of the dragon who only flew over the Magic Kingdom once. <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com we will find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows Jim and I have recorded in all four Walt Disney World theme parks. On next week's show, we go back to 1975 when Disney announces the start of Epcot construction will be in 1976. And we'll have special guest Christina back on to talk about all the latest food offerings at Walt Disney World. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's bringing his Radiatory Pasta and Cavallo Cheese to the second annual Mac and Cheese Cook-Off, benefiting the Believe in Tomorrow Children's House by the Sea, on Saturday, January 22nd, 2022, that's from noon to 3 p.m. at the residence in Ocean City in beautiful downtown Ocean City, Maryland. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.